The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Mark Fox. Mark is the Director for Federal Sales for Amazon Business Worldwide. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the federal market, what's happening, what customers are looking for, and um, Amazon's role in that, in that market, uh, and, and the future of the market a lot, I think, is in the importance of data. So first of all, Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Roger, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, you know, kind of talk a little bit about Amazon business here. Uh, been here a couple of years now, uh, and again, as you and I crossed paths years before in some other roles within Amazon, but uh, it's been a very interesting uh, and fruitful two years on the federal side here with Amazon, with Amazon Business. So, well, two years there, but um, I think it's, yeah, I always like to, it's always interesting to to talk, get people's background, sort of how, how you ended up, you know, at Amazon Business, some of your background and career, um, you know, and I know you were in the, um, you, were, you were in the Navy. I think you went to Correct. Annapolis. Can talk a little bit about your career and how you ended up in the federal market? Yeah, so I'll try to run through that uh, 30-some years uh, in a few seconds here. So as you'd mentioned, I uh, was a service academy kid, went to the Naval Academy, uh, came out, did my active duty time as a surface warfare officer, um, was able to go back and do a final tour back at the academy, and at that point uh, decided to go out and chase the civilian world. Um, ultimately ended up in the sales realm, um, working in, at the time, was, wasn't considered particularly high-tech uh, in the retail loss prevention world, which is interesting how that's back in the news today. Um, and from there, that business started to get a little bit more technical at the very early days of uh, digital video and digital recording and software involvement in that. And that is what allowed me to parlay myself into the software world. So then spent a good uh, almost 20 years primarily in the software industry with a number of companies. Um, and as I was in the software world, we saw an evolution take place there from you know trying to sell perpetual software licenses uh, back in the day. Uh, and then there was this crazy thing that came out called SaaS. Uh, and that scared a lot of uh, traditional salespeople like myself who wanted to get the big deal. Um, and we moved to more of a you know consumption-based model. And as I dug into that, trying to look ahead into the future, I started to hear more and more about this thing called cloud, which is really the underpinning of you know software as a service. Uh, was fortunate enough, uh, again, skipping a lot of steps in here, fortunate enough to get in and interview very early days with AWS and was one of the original four founding members of AWS uh, public sector business uh, here at AWS. And that was back in 2011. So uh, that was an interesting journey. And in some ways, there are some parallels to what we see here in the e-commerce space. Uh, we had to break a lot of glass. Uh, you know, there was a lot of traditional ways of doing IT back then. Uh, and cloud was very much a disruptor. Uh, and a lot of it, Roger, was tied into, you know, that generic topic around digital transformation. And when I was wearing an AWS shirt, when I heard digital transformation, my mind obviously went to, oh, you must want to go to the cloud. Um, and I would say, generally speaking, you know, that was a 10-year run there of watching it go from, uh, in some cases, not to quote one of our former DOD CIOs, there is no way in hell we're ever going to put our data into a commercial Amazon data center. Um, and about two years later, we migrated the first major business system on the Navy side, uh, their HR system, their Oracle HR system, PeopleSoft, uh, over to AWS. And it's been an incredible run since then. 
uh, in the space around cloud. So that was really the first, uh, you know, 10 years of my career here at Amazon. Uh, I was looking for opportunities uh, to find competitive differentiators as the space became validated with multiple cloud providers that were out there now the government was looking at. So I started to engage with my peers over at Amazon Business to try to understand that business and look and see if there was an opportunity for us to, to hold hands a bit and bring a, a value proposition that was you know, more than what others were bringing. So that gave me my early exposure to Amazon business there. And I kept a close eye on them for a number of years while over at AWS. And, you know, one of the interesting things you said, I got a, I got a 30 year career and I'm going to go over it in a cup, just a couple minutes. And I'm flashing thinking about myself. Like, yeah, that's, that's literally what it felt like 30 years later. And yeah, boom. I, I got, yeah, boom, I got gray hair and, you know, and a receding hairline. So, but um, you're much more fortunate than me, Mark, in that regard. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, so, so then you, you've moved to Amazon, Amazon business just two years ago to lead the effort, um, you know, in the federal space. Um, and I guess in a certain sense, maybe it might be interesting, just your initial impression when you came here and you started looking at the federal customer, just what you saw as a landscape in the market um, um, and your impressions. And then we can do a deeper dive a little bit into the federal space um, on the e-commerce side. Yeah, so the, the initial impressions were, and I'll back up a little bit, I was fortunate that I walked into an environment that was not completely greenfield, right? I had predecessors mm-hmm. here uh, at Amazon Business, uh, you know, primarily Ann Rung and Kelly Gigas were in here that did a great job of kind of getting things started. And I would say that the biggest thing that they had accomplished during their tenure here that I was able to walk into and inherit was the GSA CPI or now CTP commercial platforms program. So we had a good toe in the door. Uh, you know, the federal agencies were at least looking at trying to figure out, okay, what does e-commerce mean to us? Uh, I would have to say that most folks had a pretty good understanding of what it was, how it worked from a consumer standpoint. Um, you know, it's always fun to walk into a meeting and go, okay, I'm with Amazon business. And you get a little bit of a deer in the headlights look at times going Amazon business. Wait a second. I know what right. Amazon is and I know what cloud is with AWS, but what is Amazon business? So, uh, and that still happens, you know, a fair amount today um, where there's a lot of education to explain to people. Fortunately, it's a relatively easy thing to explain. I kind of go, okay, what do you do at home? Oh, we buy stuff all the time. We get boxes show up every day. And I go, look, you're, you're essentially going back to work in your federal procurement role and leveraging almost the exact same services. Uh, at the end of the day, when you shop as a consumer on amazon.com, um, you are shopping in the same virtual mall to, to kind of uh, think about it in that way as you are as an Amazon business customer. And I often tell folks around here on the Beltway, it's kind of like going to Tyson's Mall, um, where as a consumer, you'd walk in, let's say, the east side doors, and you have a consumer experience. Um, as a business customer, or in our case, a federal agency customer, which are typically the dot mills, dot govs, and the, and the federal contractors follow up under my federal business, you're going to come in a different door. You're going to shop in some of the same stores, you know, on the same products, but you're going to have a very different buying experience based upon what you require at a business or a federal buyer level than what I need as a consumer at home. And the biggest difference between that is going to be the level of insight and analytics and the data access that you get from the business standpoint. That's going to be the biggest differentiator between the two. I mean, I I could take a person who shops on Amazon.com today, drop them into an Amazon business account, and they would be able to conduct a transaction. Uh, They may not know all of the additional bells and whistles that they can do in terms of guiding their buying to be able to buy from uh, 
sellers, whether that be Amazon directly or our third-party sellers, uh, the ability to buy from whom they want to and whom they're allowed to buy from is going to be the biggest difference. But that data insight in the analytics is going to be probably the biggest differentiator where every transaction that takes place uh, in Amazon business, and I would say it's probably similar in, in most of the e-commerce you know, platforms that are out there, we capture about 70 data points for every transaction. So, you know, we're in the past uh, and we're primarily still talking about business that's in the below MPT $10,000 per transaction realm. Sure. That's the swim lane that for the most part, the government is is dipping their toes in the water on e-commerce is there. There are moves afoot uh, to move beyond the micro-purchase threshold. Probably still within the P-card lane, there are far allowances that you can go up to simplified acquisition threshold, 250K, and in certain situations, even go above that, uh, really on the on the credit card side. Um, that's where the market is today. I see the future of this moving uh, to e-commerce providers working in a subcontractor role, really a supplier to traditional primes. And over time, there may be a place for us to consider looking at certain types of contracts where we would act in a prime contracting role. Yeah, that's some interesting stuff there, Mark. And, you know, we're almost up on the break. I got about 30 seconds. So I'm going to, uh, but we can talk about that, you know, the data analytics and how that supports a customer in the next segment and also sort of the future where the, where you see this going. We'll take a little bit deeper dive. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, great. My guest today is Mark Fox. He is a director of federal sales, Amazon business worldwide. I'm Roger Waldron and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Mark Fox. Mark is the Director for Federal Sales at Amazon Business Worldwide. And uh, Mark, at first segment, um, yeah, towards the end there, it's, um, is it really interesting? Um, you mentioned that uh, you collect, you know, that Amazon collects the, the e-commerce platform 70 data points with regard to transactions. Um, and I And I know data is like, yeah, I guess yeah, it's um, it's fundamentally important for everybody these days, right? In terms of understanding where purchasing patterns, what people are buying, all that sort of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about you know that data service in a certain sense that you provide to customers? What the federal customers you know asking you for, asking you to tailor to support their efforts, and using that data as a foundation for the service. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate in the fact that um, we at Amazon Business, Amazon.com would be considered one of AWS's largest customers. Um, so we're fortunate <laughs> in the fact that we've got, uh, you know, the, the access to a significant amount of storage and computing there. So I'll put the little AWS plug in there. Uh, but it really is that data that is the differentiator uh, between the consumer experience. And um, those the data that's being captured is really used as a decision making tool. As an example of how important it is, we've got, uh, there'll be a customer that's coming in here into the building today, one of our DOD customers. And the first thing we talked driving in this morning, my DOD lead, uh, that they're going to demonstrate to them is the analytics, right? To show someone go in there and search for, you know, a computer mouse or a monitor, pretty straightforward. We've all kind of seen it and done it. We know what to sort of expect on the results set. Um, but we are literally, we'll start the demonstration showing them the data itself. Uh, and again, back to what does that data allow you to do? A lot of it is to, A, ensure you've got compliance, right? So we talked about some of those data fields are going to be, um, you know, what is the status of this particular seller? And when I say seller, uh, there are really two flavors of sellers inside of Amazon. 
There is Amazon first party where we sell in many cases, our own products, our private label products, or we have gone out and acquired the products from large companies. I've got a Logitech mouse in front of me here. I'm sure we are a distributor. We bought that product. We've put it into the fulfillment centers and we become the distributor. Um, that is the minority of our sales. And in particular in federal, uh, the bulk of our sales are with our third party sellers. It's well over 60%, I believe, through the latest CPP documentation comes from those third party sellers. Uh, and those third party sellers oftentimes will be uh, women owned, veteran owned, black owned business, service disabled, hub zone, et cetera. And that information is captured and our fields that are searchable and in fact gives the uh, the buyers the ability to prioritize certain things. So their ability to prioritize the data that's in there and guide their buying will include things, for example, in the world we operate in federal right now, uh, pretty much all the customers will incorporate uh, Section 889 compliance as a requirement slash preference for what they're going to buy. Um, regardless of what it is, we could have a deeper discussion around 889 and is it right or wrong in the way it's going about the business. The fact is that whether they're buying uh, a true piece of electronics today, and we make sure that they are not buying from Huawei or Hikvision, et cetera, those band 5CT companies, or it could be something as simple as a ream of paper. Today, uh, most of the agencies will even require an 889 attestation for that. Uh, we are fortunate along those lines of compliance uh, that we've got a direct integration into SAM.gov. So we actually inherit all of their SAM credentials, which may be their status as a veteran-owned, women-owned, et cetera. Um, but it will also include their 889 attestation that they've done within SAM as well. So really compliance, much like Roger back in the days on the cloud side, you know, oh, you got to talk to me about FedRAMP low, moderate, high, or right. yes, yeah. be on the cloud side, we've got our whole set of compliance regimes here, uh, you know, on the purchasing side that we have to deal with along with the FAR. And, and um, you know, just to follow up on that, and I guess, you know, there might be unique sort of requirements from that perspective, depending on who the federal customer is. Is that something that you work into how, like if it's the Navy who's using your, or, you know, DHS or someone, they may have some unique requirements either around compliance or what they want their folks to be buying via, you know, your platform. Is that tailor that kind of thing? Yeah, it's probably the best example of that um, where, based upon the data from the sellers and the buyer's ability to say, I want to buy from a seller that has these traits. Uh, the Air Force has a good example there of a program that, that many folks have heard about here. It's called the Air Force First Look. And uh, when General Holt was on active duty, um, he implemented the program that said, you know, look, we have diminished the sellers that are outside of your traditional military bases. I remember my old Navy days, you drive down Mayport Road in Jacksonville, right. and there was, you know, Bob's Lumber Company and, and, and Gene's Electrical Supply Company. A lot of those businesses are gone now, in many cases impacted, you know, by a number of factors. And, you know, General Holt's statements were, you in the e-commerce world now have the ability to make these companies more viable and bring them back again. So what they did for the Air Force is they have drawn effectively a 50-mile, I believe it's 50-mile radius, 25 by 50, but I believe it's 50-mile radius around every base. And if there is a seller, a third-party seller that is selling uh, a product that is compliant that the Air Force can buy, they will prefer that. So if I'm a buyer at Wright-Patterson uh, and I find a seller with a product that I want to get that's outside of McDill, that's okay. It's still outside of the 50 miles of the base. They're driving their dollars into that local community. So it really gives the buying community that ability to direct their dollars, whether it's a geographic-based thing, whether it's a particular seller demographics that they want to go to, uh, they have the ability to do that. Yeah, and I remember uh, General Holt um, 
you know, talking to them about, about that approach and actually focus on the local businesses. Cause to the point you're making, like, you know, I grew up uh, near Loring air force base up in Maine and likes lots, lots of, and it's a long time ago. So there were lots of local businesses, <laughs> not so much anymore. Um, so another aspect I'm interested about the data collection is like, just in terms of reporting to the agencies on their use and the use of that, you know, just whether the ability to provide information on buying patterns, how much they're using it could help them make um, buying decisions about where to go next or how they want to approach utilizing your platform or other approaches to doing their procurement. Is that something in terms of the data that you're collecting that um, you're seeing eight customers ask you for? Yeah. I mean, and at the end of it, it, it is their data, right? We're, we're obviously collecting it, making it accessible to them. That's um, out there. And, and that's what we're typically seeing being done now is a, a little bit of a, wow, I didn't know that I had that much information because you think of how the PCAR program had been in the past, again, a little bit of a wild, wild west, uh, and, and the hope here from us in this industry is that there's a realization that there's a level of detail that's available, uh, even down here at the P card below MPT, uh, that they're only used to getting, you know, typically in maybe a Cat 1A type of program that you're really capturing right. that information. You've got different types of financial systems to support it, and you can get that there. Um, again, the hope and desire is that obviously the usage of the P card with this level of clarity and data and reporting that is available to them to plug into systems like FPDS, if they so desire. Roger, let me take this, you know, as a chance to sort of focus on an opportunity uh, around the small business. Um, it, it's a lot of information was laid out in the recent GAO uh, CPP report that broke out that there was a significant portion of the orders were from third parties. The bulk of those are small businesses. Um, but we've now got an opportunity here to really look at how do we get recognition for small business spend below the micro-purchase threshold. Again, I would send, send folks back to look at the GAO report. There's some really good recommendations that have been made in there, uh, but there's going to have to be uh, ways to simplify this down so that that reporting is made very simple because of just the, the volume of transactions that happen below MPT. But I think it is a great opportunity for the agencies to hit these goals that are going to continue to increase um, and, uh, you know, these uh, e-market, e-commerce online stores that are working through CPP have all got, as part of the requirements, the ability to report the level of detail that's necessary there. I mean, for example, we capture some 60 to 70 data fields off of every transaction that gives you the details to be able to report and have the analytics off of there as well. So in that regard, Mark, um, with all that information, it is uh, it sounds it does sound like a great opportunity for the government to actually get greater insight and transparency on actually how well it's doing with small business. Yeah, I mean, I think the good part here, uh, going back to the report itself, is is looking at the feedback that came from some of the agencies, VA in particular. You know, Phil Christie talked about, you know, they all have that same desire to get credit for this spend. Uh, and everybody seems very supportive. It's now down to the devils in the details of, of finding a mechanism so that the government is capable to accept that data and report it and they get credit for it. Mark, we're up at the end of the segment. When we come back, I want to continue our discussion of data and digital transformation and just what you're seeing. And I also want to get your take a little bit too, as part of this, it seems to me, you know, to leverage data, you know, um, everybody's always got to, you know, mention artificial intelligence or machine learning and the roles those play in it. Like you can't 
you know, can't talk about anything these days without mentioning those, right? At right. the end of the day. So when we come back, we'll, 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 we'll discuss that a little bit. My guest today is Mark Fox. He's the director for federal sales at Amazon Business Worldwide. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Mark Fox. Mark is the director for federal sales at Amazon Business Worldwide. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of the last segment, Mark, talking about data and the importance of data and the information and how customers are using it, how uh, much of that information um, can assist in decision-making. And the one th- one of the things I wanted to, because obviously it's everybody's talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and you hear a lot about it in the context of the procurement system and, you know, government folks talking about how AI and ML could help, you know, improve the procurement process. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, where you see that and the role it plays in uh, your support of the customer? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we cannot have a conversation today without talking about AI and and ML. Um, and, And it is incorporated. It's one of the things that, uh, again, I'll go back maybe five years um, on the AWS side, Roger, where when Andy Jassy came out to all of us internally and effectively said, uh, you will all incorporate AI and ML into every part of the business that you're operating in, whether you're in a sales role, a software development role, whatever it may be, you will incorporate and find out where and how AI and ML uh, will, will impact your job. Uh, flash forward, you know, now you're seeing broad use, widespread use, just the last six months, it's been incredible. Um, Amazon across the board has been fairly engaged in utilizing AI and ML internally, much like many things that we do. We will take a capability, a product or a service, use it internally for our own good, look at it, then you get to the point where you go, you know, this is something that will probably be good to externalize out to the market, kind of how AWS came about. And in many ways, that was how AB came about, Amazon Business, um, as there was a demand signal, we saw more than consumers using Amazon.com and thus became Amazon Business. Uh, a real-world example of where, you know, machine learning is being used today, uh, and it's something, Roger, that uh, if you ever get a chance, uh, and it's a bit of an open invite for, for some of you folks at CGP and others, to come and visit an Amazon Fulfillment Center and to watch what these million-plus square foot facilities do in terms of comparing it to a traditional warehouse fulfillment center where products come in and products go out. And typically the products come in um, and there is a shelf for uh, a widget A and they go on the shelf for widget A and there's another shelf for widget Bs and they all get put in their nice pre-designated spots. Uh, The most amazing thing that you'll see when you come into these fulfillment centers is A, there are not traditional shelves. They are mobile shelves that are moved around by robots. Uh, The products, when they are put into the shelf, when they are stowed, uh, they are put all over the floor at random. And if you think about it, you go, well, wow, that's kind of crazy. Wouldn't you put the pencils on the pencil shelf? And when you get a pencil order, someone goes over there and gets them? And the answer is no. Um, the back-end systems have the intelligence to know where every product is down to in Ichi, uh, in its unique location, everywhere on that million square foot. The products are scattered at random because orders come in at random. Um, so you go, okay, well, that's starting to make sense. And then the traditional people that would stow products um, – Again, they don't go out onto a floor. The shelves come to them, and the inverse happens uh, when the products are picked. The shelves come to them. Um, Where's the AI ML role in all of this? 
um, it determines what is the most optimal place. So that product you are told when you stow it where it's going to go um, or it's kind of predetermined, again, because the shell comes to you. Um, so that's all driven by what is the customer demand? It's data. Which particular products at a given location, at a given time of day, all those products are moved around based sure. upon massive machine learning models. Right. And, uh, and I assume that, well, it, it has to over time, it, it, the AI, the machine learning learn there could be changes in the markets, demand for some products ebbs and flows, or you could have like, t- you know, a couple hundred thousand items in a MRO space that, you know, people are buying one year and then over time that evolves to different products. And this all gets, you know, it, it could all essentially gets fed into the system and, and the adjusts, you know, the warehouse in terms of how it performs right. and the products and where it picks them and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, to the point of even from a seasonality standpoint, we will move product from one location to another based upon the historical data that we have that's there. Um, again, we've made significant investments in that infrastructure. I'll give a real personal example. Um, I was on a little time off with the wife this weekend. She really liked a particular soap that was in a, a hotel that we were staying at. Uh, again, real story. Got yes. home that night on um, Monday evening, put the order in. And last night as I was watching TV, I got the phone popped up and said, your package has been delivered. There's a picture of it on the front step. So we're now moving towards more and more um, inside of two-day delivery, and that will impact our Amazon business as well. What's the impact of that in the federal space for us? And I always try to go back, some of it's because of my roots, Rogers, tie it back to mission. Uh, how important is it for an F-35 to get that one piece of gear that it needs to conduct maintenance um, so that that flight is ready to go flying. And it may be an extreme example, uh, but oftentimes getting it there in a week versus two days or one day matters. Um, And that ties into a larger uh, area in terms of how we're looking at the business now, which is, you know, traditionally with uh, products and services that I've dealt with in the past, we all kind of talked about total cost of ownership and return on investment. And I'm not sure that that is, as applicable into the procurement space as it is in that traditional IT space. So we're really now starting to talk more about what is the total cost of procurement and right. to try to roll in all of the variables that are in there where at, at you know, at, at the surface, a product may appear in some ways to cost more uh, in an e-commerce environment. But when you start to pull in all the variables uh, to include time and time is money and time is, you know, mission capability, uh, then in many cases, you're going to see a much lower total cost of procurement. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. You use that term total cost of procurement. You know, I, I often refer to total cost of acquisition, same thing, mm-hmm. you know, like what is the total cost of acquisition as, um, you know, as, as, as a, a, and what does that mean for the customer at the end of the day? Um, how, what role does from, from your guys perspective, you know, that that's, I mean, that's a real, the example of AI and its role in your warehouses, you can really visualize that, right? That was a great description. In terms of the overall supply chain management, what are you seeing in regard to, you know, because one of the things a federal customer, as you know, you mentioned like, you know, the widget for the, for the F-35. Well, you know, there's, there's the federal government increasingly wants more insight uh, into, you know, the supply chain and where things are coming from or just and how and and is it available? And I think partly that's partly 
due to, you know, near peer adversaries, but also the experience from COVID and the impact on supply chain there. What are you seeing in that regard with you, that your customers looking for and sort of how are you, how is, how is Amazon responding to that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's really an extension of the data that's captured. If you don't have the data, you can't make the decisions. You cannot run an ML model. You cannot conduct artificial intelligence. So it's really all tied together, you know, down in areas where it's okay. How do I measure that demand signal? How and where does it come in from? Um, you know, how do I do forecasting? Things like that. And, and again, much as we've seen in similar ways in the past, a lot of times we will build up a capability internally, look at it and go, you know what, this is something that would be good to externally face. And an example here of, again, working together with my peers over on the cloud side is they've now done the early initial release of what they call a supply chain service uh, on the AWS side. And again, you can look at it and go, this is probably a lot of the same type of tools that Amazon uses internally, uh, which it is. Uh, and again, you're getting into an area where you're using data lakes to take all of the data across multiple sources, existing ERP-like systems, other financial systems tied into the procurement systems to be able to give you that full, you know, 360 view that we've all talked about in terms of panacea in the years past. Uh, we had the data, but we didn't have the means and the mechanism to pull it together to get the insight out of it and to get the predictability out of it that we can now do, um, you know, leveraging both the web uh, and uh, e-commerce environments like Amazon Business. Yeah, and you know what? Right, that's a good place where we to to stop. And then the last segment, we can, you know, sort of sort of continue to look to the future, where things are heading, some of the opportunities, and in in the supply chain, where um, yeah, with regard to whether they're prime contractors or other aspects of uh, of logistics that you're looking at. Um, my guest today is Mark Fox. He is the director for federal sales at Amazon Business Worldwide. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Mark Fox. Mark is the director of federal sales for Amazon Business Worldwide. We've been talking about um the supply chain management, data management, the e-commerce platform, and the information um, um, that, you know, and services that sort of help customer agencies and the private sector do their business. And, you know, Mark, one of the things that um, you touched, you've touched on just lightly in some of the previous segments is just sort of that continuing evolution of the Amazon business, federal business model and its support of the federal customer and then where you see it going in the future in terms of support for potentially prime contractors and others. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your, the vision there? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with a little bit of an as is, uh, and some of this is, um, you know, a little bit of maybe internal speak, but it's terms that are, are fun talking about in public. Uh, we'll often talk about the acquisition of a given, whether it's a company or an agency, broken down into really two areas of, of how they spend. There is tail spend, our words, that's used a little bit out in industry. This is unplanned. Oh, I had a demand signal coming today. I need, you know, five new chairs for an office building or whatever it may be. This is not something that's been long-term planned out. It's tied to a contract. Um, and that tail spend is a lot of the spend from a transaction standpoint, um, like we see today. It's a lot of transactions that happen uh, through the CPP and through other agencies that come direct to us. Um, but it's that other bigger Fewer transactions, but larger transactions, just the 80%, which is where us in the e-commerce market are not heavily playing today, that is the future. So the real question that's been imposed upon 
you know, Amazon business and the other players uh, in e-commerce space that are especially trying to go after the business in the federal is how do you get there? Uh, how do we go after a business that's above the micro-purchase threshold? Uh, and the answer really, Roger, in some ways, I, I've kind of looked at how we did it at AWS, um, which was the reason and how, why AWS uh, had its, you know, its significant growth over the last 10 years, especially in the government space, was really through the partner community. It was that ecosystem that was the, uh, 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 you know, the, the force multiplier. And when I came over here, that was my intention was to go, okay, I can't do this with a relatively small team. I've got to leverage the ecosystem. So um, one of the first things that we did was to bring over the federal contractor community. So think of the Fed 100 and let's go as far down that list as we can, you know, starting at the Lockheeds and the Northrop's, et cetera, and going all the way down to relatively small, true A-Days, ANCs, Native Americans, et cetera. Um, so we've now pulled those in. And the relationship with those federal contractors, um, yes, we will sell to them just like we would to a traditional company. And some of these are very large companies with thousands of employees that buy a lot of the same things that we internally at Amazon buy off of Amazon business. We're, in fact, a very large customer baby as well. Uh, but the bigger opportunity with them is to engage with what do they really do as a business, right? You know, Lockheed Martin Aeronautics is in the business of making F-35s, as an example. You know, Newport News is making aircraft carriers. Where is the role for e-commerce providers in that? And, and there is as you go down it. And a lot of it goes back, Roger, it's tied to MRO opportunities where they're leveraging commercial products and capabilities, again, to keep things running, flying, and fighting. Um, so that's a big part of it. But how do we engage with them? And, and the typical model is going to be um, we would not prime um, these generally types of countries. I'm not going to, at least Amazon, I don't think we're ready to build an aircraft carrier yet. Don't foresee that <laughs> happening in the near term. Uh, but to take that example, you know, if you get out of Newport News, there's a lot of product that the shipbuilders need uh, in the course of building their ships that we would sell. So in that case, we would look to act in some sort of a subcontracting partnering role as a supplier, uh, again, with the intention of supplying everything, let's say, to the left of a particular dollar figure um, or uh, anything that fits a particular category of traditionally being commercial open market uh, type product. Um, so I see that as being a big part of the future is leveraging that partner ecosystem. Um, and it's a different value proposition that AWS had, um, which was really about them putting their people on to work at an hourly rate to implement a large IT system that was running in the cloud. Um, here, the value proposition is a little bit different to those providers, which, again, it's about them focusing their limited resources and capabilities on what do they do best. Um, uh, and again, we kind of talked about things that are in our sweet spot. And it's using, again, I, I'll say it again, that sort of undifferentiated heavy lifting. Let us take care of those things that we can do best, can deliver faster at a lower cost. Uh, and again, at, at a last minute notice, you know, better than they would typically be able to do. Right. And so a couple of questions. First of all, like one of the things you mentioned is I think that Amazon is a big, you know, uh, customer of Amazon business. Right. Correct. So, are, you know, I, presumably, as you mentioned, like with AWS there's, and things that you've done, you're learning from your own utilization of the tool to enhance the capabilities when you're going out to, you know, outside customers. Yeah, and Roger, as I mentioned, you know, Amazon itself, very large corporation, is also an Amazon business customer, uh, and and we have to compete for that business. Uh, but here, sitting in front of me in the office today, is an example of the types of things that we buy and compete for. So, sitting in front of me here is a traditional hand sanitizer. You know, on every desktop, on every conference room, 
Uh, you've got, uh, you know, some cleaning wipes that are here. You've got tissues that are here, uh, a box of pens that are here. And this is set up across every one of the hundreds, if not thousands of offices and conference rooms across the Amazon ecosystem that uh, we have to compete for that actually shows up in our e-procurement solution that we use as a punch out into Amazon business. And there are other competitors, oddly enough, that are in there that we could go to as well. Um, but that's one example of how we internally utilize uh, Amazon business uh, as a supplier for Amazon itself. Right. So interesting. One of the things I want to follow up is uh, when you're thinking about that prime contractor or, or supporting those folks who are dealing with the, the government, I see there may, might be two types of different support to provide in a certain sense, right? Some of it may be MRO stuff that people are using to you know, maintain their own facilities and that sort of thing. And that may not be direct spend under the contract, but it's stuff that they need to you know, that, that they're paying for to maintain their facilities or whatever. But then there also may be widgets that you know, are being supplied that are going to go directly, you know, into performance of a contract. Right. Uh, yeah. Are you, I assume you're going to be looking at that and how you, cause there's going to, with that, there may be compliance requirements, whether it's country or origin and things like that, that you're going to have to address to meet that customer need. Who's ultimately, you know, pay, you know, the, the flow through of the federal dollar, you know, comes with it certain restrictions in some cases, like the 889 thing and things like that. Is that right? Is there, is there, how are you tackling that or thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, again, I'll give an example on a couple of those areas that tie back to compliance. Um, and, and really, it goes to the, the desire that the feds have had for a long time, which is to be as audit ready as possible. <laughs> right. And I think we can be a contributor in that audit ready component. So you can take that entire tailspin, as much of it that we're touching, and you probably got more information to feed into a clean audit as you would of anything, even at the top levels. Um, one of the ways that we go about that, for example, take a large federal contractor. Um, again, we would look at them through the two prisms. One, we want to sell to them. They're a large company in many cases that buy some of the things I talked about that are sitting in front of me here today. They need the same supplies. Um, and then you get into program dollars. So let's say they've got an Army, a Navy, and an Air Force program. Our ability to break that buying up into different groups uh, in essence, to make sure those three or four different colors of money are segregated, even down a different layer. If they've got three different Navy programs, so I've got three different shades of Navy blue money, we can make sure that that money is separated, again, from an audit and reporting standpoint to know exactly what was spent by that prime on program X, Y, and Z, and what was done internally. And the ability for all of that to be rolled up to the top level um, to show what was our total spend, um, which may impact uh, that contractor's ability to, for example, get rebates. There is a rebate program in Amazon, sure. much like the PCAR program has, um, that as you reach certain thresholds, um, then you do get some rebates back. All right. So interesting. And, you know, actually, Mark, we're, we've got about a minute left, and I wanted to give you one, you know, or just one last um, sort of question. And then just overall, you know, that's, we spent a lot of time this segment talking about supporting, you know, contractors are there folks in the private sector do you have a sense or what you where do you see e-commerce in the federal space evolving you know we've had the pilot that's been in place gsa is going on to the next iteration of uh the commercial platforms um and that's in the midst of procurement so i know you can't really address that directly but how do you see e-commerce evolving it seems to me that the data management, the machine learning, AI has there's lots of potential there um, moving forward to you know to support 
the customer in many different ways we haven't even like really figured out yet. Just the federal space is always going to be behind the private sector and, and, and just trying to figure out how to leverage certain practices. Yeah, Any- I think, yeah, what I, what I suspect that we're going to see, and I won't get into any specifics around the, the CPP, um, it, it may surprise some people that we are very supportive of that program growing and adding more e-commerce platforms to it. it it's sort of the, uh, to go back to my Navy roots, it's a rising tide um, that I think will be good for all of us in the e-commerce space. It obviously needs to be good for the government uh, to be able to do that. And, and to some degree, it, it is gravity. Uh, just like we've seen in the commercial space, the adoption of e-commerce uh, to some degrees, you know, can be controlled and it should be and compliance should be applied to it, but it's going to naturally grow. And I suspect if we came back here in five years and redid this interview, we would be talking about a very different, much more involved, uh, you know, usage of e-commerce across the federal marketplace in a way that it has to prove that it is saving money for obvious reasons. It is allowing the distribution of the government funds to the places that they want those monies to go to do it in a compliant manner. Uh, and at the end of the day to have a positive impact on mission. And if we can do all those things, it's an opportunity to really have, uh, you know, which you don't get often in life, which is a win, win, win across the board. It's a win for, you know, the federal government, the taxpayers, it's a win for us as a business. Um, and it's a win for our partners that are in there as well. So you don't get that opportunity often. And I think this is an area that we will have a chance to do so. And I believe that CPP will look back again in five or 10 years ago. That was the starting point um, that got it going. So again, Roger, thank you for the time. Mark, thanks for joining me on the show. My guest today has been Mark Fox. Mark is the Director of Federal Sales at Amazon Business Worldwide. I'm Roger Waldron. You've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.